Hi, writers. Welcome to our new episode about writing fiction, both novels and short stories. This is Jim Thayer. Two episodes ago, I talked about prospect killers, mistakes made in the first pages of a manuscript that usually mean an agent or an editor won't read farther. The mistakes are so early in the pages and so profound that the manuscript is put down after only several pages. These mistakes were too early backstory or over-explanation. Uh, those things occurring in the in the first pages. I want to return to the subject of prospect killers, and this one is a different one, but it's still extremely uh, extremely important. And it's this: we should begin our novel late in the chronology, uh, specifically regarding the beginning pages of our novels. The plot should open at the heart of things, a setup should be avoided in the early pages. Life is a chronology. Most days we get up in the morning, uh, beginning the day's chronology, and most days we go to bed at night, ending the day's chronology. A scene in a novel is not a chronology. A scene, particularly one that begins a novel, should immediately focus on the central action. A chronology is like a row of dominoes laid on their ends. The row has ten dominoes. If you push one over, they'll all fall in sequence, each knocking the next one down. A chronology begins at the first domino. But you don't need all the dominoes for a scene. The first several dominoes can usually be removed from a scene. Uh, We're talking about beginning the first scene in our novel. That same principle applies to ending a scene. The last dominoes, the wind-down, can almost always be removed from the scene, too. So when we construct a scene in our minds, the chronological sequence of events that occur in the scene, we usually find we can pare it away at the front and the back. I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but let me do it again. It's so important. The screenwriter William Goldman, who did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Marathon Man, says the writer should omit the scenes, beginnings, and ends and jump from middle to middle. Novelist David Morrell puts it this way, If your scene is represented by A, B, C, D, A and D are implied, while only B and C are dramatized in the scene. So as the reader goes from scene to scene, she's going from BC to BC, not from ABCD to ABCD. This technique is particularly important at the beginning of a novel, in the novel's first chapter its first scene. Because if done wrongly, if the writer writes the A instead of skipping in the chronology to the B, the agent or editor will put down the manuscript thinking she doesn't need to read any farther. The key here is that inexperienced writers often have a huge difficulty in avoiding setting up a scene. The writer wants to put everything in place, wants to let the reader know where the characters are and what's on their minds and what they're doing just prior 
to the important action dialogue. The urge to set up everything to make things clear is powerful in all writers, but experienced and successful writers know to avoid it. This urge should be resisted. The the reader doesn't need to see the setup, usually. In a novel's first chapter, setting up everything before getting to the critical moments is a huge and prospect-killing mistake. Dominoes and now chess. The game of chess always begins with the 32 black and white pieces in their places at the edges of the board. Most of the time, there might be 15 or 20 or 30 or more moves before the game gets to its critical juncture. The last moves, when there might only be 10 or 20 pieces remaining on the board. If a game of chess is compared to a scene, the reader doesn't need to see the first chess moves. The writer should cut to the last moves on the chessboard in the scene. The reader doesn't need to see the first moves. Here are some examples of scenes that have begun too early. Melissa Crane woke up that morning and stared at the ceiling for a moment. Then she pushed herself out of bed and smoothed out the comforter. If these two sentences begin your novel, in all likelihood, an agent or editor won't read beyond these two sentences, and likely won't read beyond the first first phrase Melissa Crane woke up that morning. And here's something farther. If you've already written a number of scenes of your novel, check out the beginnings of the scenes. If any one of them has a character waking up in the morning, it's likely a big mistake. Uh, unless there's an alien in a bed or, or a horse's head. That scene has, in all probability, started too early in the scene's chronology. F- for many new writers, it's hard to show a character doing something important in the story without showing what the character did earlier in the day to get to that point in the story. It's a mistake. Just cut to the point. Here's another novel that has begun too early. This is the first uh, sentences of the novel. Ray Rasmussen put his car into gear. Two inches of snow were on the roadway, but his Subaru had four-wheel drive. He stopped at a red light and then continued down Mercer Street, the space needle visible between the buildings. Traffic was light for this time of day. Here the author, which is me, doesn't want to begin the first chapter's main action until he gets the protagonist to the action. As written, Ray Rasmussen is driving to to that action. This scene has begun at A in the ABCD chronology, rather at B, the heart of the scene. For many new writers, it's difficult to begin the action without first getting the hero to the action, often by driving. But fiction is magic. Our character can just magically appear at the action, and her travels there don't have to be documented. If for some reason how she got to the action is important, it likely can be revealed in one sentence later. Here's the first page of another novel that has begun too early. 
This is a family drama where the reader will eventually learn. Uh, The family is gathering to talk about the dad's brother who has just been admitted to a hospital's intensive care unit, uh, perhaps after a failed suicide attempt. Here are the first couple of lines. I'll get the broom, Diana said. Why does this floor always look like it needs to be swept even after I just swept it? Your dad chose the tile, her mother replied. Ask him. He'll be home from the hospital in a few minutes. And you need to get a new broom, Mom. This thing is ratty. Here, in an effort to make the family seem normal and to introduce the family, uh, the author, here too, it's me, has begun with small talk about the kitchen. The author has begun at A. Small talk in a story should almost always be avoided, but it's a prospect killer at the beginning of the first chapter. Here, uh, this small talk that begins the first scene of the novel, this small talk about a broom and the kitchen floor goes nowhere, and it's instantly clear that it has nothing to do with the main story question, and it has likely made the agent or editor uh, put the manuscript down. Instead, the writer should have begun at B, with the first sentences of dialogue, uh, probably an argument with Dad about his brother, the uncle. So, there is a difference between a chronology and a scene. Let's say that we are outlining our first chapter of our novel. We've thought and thought about how things were and how things are, and so we jot down our plot points to open the novel. This is the outline of an inexperienced writer. One, Marcus checks his plasma rifle, making sure the safety is on. Two, he dons the reflector vest, then checks the projected signals on the inside of his face mask. 3. He shakes hands with the rest of the troop. He wonders if his lieutenant, new to the outstation, is up to the task. Uh, 4. A warning buzzer sounds in his ear. He adjusts the oxygen level. A trooper across the aisle from him is praying, his eyes closed and his lips working silently. 5. Marcus tries to keep his hands from shaking. He and the rest of the troop wait for the signal. 6. At the signal, Marcus presses the lever and the airlock blows open. He is the first through the lock into the alien ship. Two Girons fall under his plasma assault. The alien bridge is filled with stuttering light and thunderous percussion. That's the seven points of our outline. In this outline of the first chapter, points one through six are set up. We're seeing Marcus get ready for the action. We're hearing some of his thoughts. The action, though, begins at number seven with, at the signal, Marcus presses the lever and the airlock blows open. In this action sci-fi novel, that's probably where to begin the scene, the first scene of the novel. That's probably where it should begin. There's an argument that maybe some of those points, one through six, are interesting and should be in the story, but my main point here is that most of this should be avoided. Get to the action. Get Marcus breaking through the door and firing his weapon. 
Here's a second chronology. This is, the, this is an outline, a point-by-point point outline of an old-fashioned romance novel, one of those involving the young lady and the soldier. Aren't they great? Here is my outline. Notice that much of it is setting up the scene. One, Allison walked up the wind-swept cliff near her father's mansion, lost in thought. The sea crashed against the rocks below. Two, she thought of John and those things he told her yesterday. He was a soldier and he was going away. He didn't know when, but it was soon. Three, her dog ran from the house. Rover was one of the few sources of comfort. Four, Allison's father rode his horse along the path to her. He asked her if she was okay. She couldn't reveal her heart to him. It was cold, and he gave her an extra shawl. Five, wind whipped the shawl. She heard a noise, something that wasn't the breaking sea. It was John running quickly toward her, then fiercely hugging her. His infant, uh, six, his infantry unit had just called him up. He must leave tomorrow. He and Allison must get married today. She can't, she says. Her father forbids it. Seven. Marry me today in town, he begs. The parson is waiting. Your sister's there too. Come with me now. Eight. She glances back at the house, then at John. Indecision and fear are on her face. Then she grabs his hand and they rush toward town. This is a sweet scene to open a novel, but it has begun too early. The clue that it's begun too early in the chronology is that it opens with Allison lost in thought, and she's remembering things John told her yesterday. This is the writer setting up things, making things clear, adding backstory via her thoughts. She's thinking about how she feels about things, which is navel-gazing. Uh, there's an argument that the scene should begin at number four, where Allison's father finds her out walking, or maybe, uh, but I'd, I'd begin it at five, where the wind is whipping her shawl and she hears a noise and, and it's John running toward her. This would give the reader action and dialogue right away. But what about the stuff about what happened yesterday and about how Allison feels about things and about her dog being the sole source of comfort. All of that is set up. And if it's important to the story, this information can wait for later. That's the key. The reader doesn't need to know everything right away. Cut to the chase. The point is, get the story going right away in the first chapter with action and dialogue rather here, rather than navel-gazing and backstory. The reader can wait for her thoughts and feelings and the history of their relationship. This is a critical technique in writing fiction in that it applies to the beginning of our novel where readers are first introduced to the story. Skip the setup and get right to the heart of your first scene. Let's talk more 
about dialogue. Dialogue in a story is fun to write and fun to read. And here's an important technique mentioned earlier that I'd like to expand on uh, regarding uh, our writing of the conversations between our characters. Saul Stein points out that, quote, dialogue is at its best when it is confrontational and adversarial. Talk is action, and when talk is tough and combative, it can be much more exciting than physical action. End quote. That's Saul Stein. An argument in fiction is more entertaining than flattery, and an accusation is more gripping than gratitude. An argument generates conflict, an essential ingredient of a novel and of each scene. What's the easiest way to create confrontational dialogue? Use the word no. Tension and drama are increased when characters are constantly, uh, constantly saying no to each other. Listen to this from Alice Munro's novel, Before the Change, where the daughter of a doctor who had performed illegal abortions up until his recent death takes a phone call. A woman on the phone wants to speak to the doctor, and the daughter answers the phone. She says, I'm sorry he's dead. Dr. Strahan, have I got the right doctor? Yes, but I'm sorry he's dead. Is there anyone, does he by any chance have a partner I could talk to? Is there anybody else there? No, no partner. Could you give me any other number I could call? Isn't there some other action, some other doctor that can? No, I haven't any number. There isn't anybody that I know of. You must know what this is about. It's very crucial. There are very special circumstances. I'm sorry. The tension here is created because the the uh, daughter keeps saying no, and the caller keeps pressing for an answer, only to receive no again. This is an interesting argument, using the word no. Here's another example from Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea, where the old man loves his young protege, and their conversation shows the affection, but still the old man steadily saying no, and that gives the scene tension. Can I go out and get sardines for you tomorrow? No, go and play baseball. I can still row, and Rogelio will throw the net. I would like to go. If I cannot fish with you, I'd like to serve in some way. You bought me a beer, the old man said. You're already a man. How old was I when you first took me in a boat? Five, and you were nearly killed when I brought the fish in, too green, and he nearly tore the boat to pieces. Can you remember? I can remember the tail slapping and banging and the thwart breaking and the noise of the clubbing. I can remember you throwing me into the bow where the wet coil lines were and feeling the whole boat shiver and the noise of you clubbing him like chopping a tree down and the sweet blood smell all over me. Can you really remember that or did I just tell it to you? I remember everything from when we first went together. The old man looked at him with his sunburned, confident, loving eyes. If you were my boy, I'd take you out and gamble, he said. But you are your father's and mother's, and you are in a lucky boat. 
This is confrontational without being angry, and notice that this dialogue does more than one thing. It shows us about the old man and the boy's relationship. It, it shows their affection for each other, and it, it offers some history of the old man, and it foreshadows what is to come. But it's a good argument. The old man keeps saying no, and the boy keeps pressing. Most of us in our real lives try to avoid argument. Arguments are upsetting and can hurt friendships and families, but fiction isn't real life. Fiction is a construct. That, that we don't like arguments in our real lives doesn't mean we should avoid them in our fiction. The key here is argument is the most interesting dialogue for readers. It lets sparks fly. But surely we think not all dialogue in our novel should be argument, not all of it. No, but we should keep non-arguments short and make sure non-arguments are important to the story. We've reached the end of this episode. It's the holiday season. My lawn is covered in snow. I hope you are with friends and family, and I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and Hanukkah. God bless you and your families. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys.